I'm trying to figure out how to express in terms that will help some of the younger ones among us. I'm trying to figure out how to express what my walk with the Spirit has become. And I can tell you right now that it's much more relaxed than some because I've come to know him in a way that enables me to relax. I know that I belong to him. And more than that, in my search to know him, he has come to know me. And so there's, I don't have to put on any facade. Any, I can be me because he expects me to be me. And that comes from a walk with the Spirit. Many people would want to make a revival service, a uh, always good feeling, that kind of thing, to be the walk with the Spirit. I haven't found it that way. I've found it a lot like life. And I've found that even in times when I'm so sure he's left me, that he hasn't. That he's there and he's just trying to get my attention and trying to get me to engage in faith instead of fear and to walk with him. So I'm, I'm asking God to help me in my time up here to try to share some of that in ways that will help you to understand. Because for the young people, and I'm, when I talk about young, I'm talking about anybody younger than me. Uh, if you can engage that now where you are, it'll change everything. I remember the years of struggle. And thank you guys for staying with me back there. I might or might not get to the outline. We'll see. <laughs> but I remember the years of struggle where always thinking there's something I had to do that would somehow get God to manifest more strongly and more fully. And realizing through the years that it, that's just not real. There's, he's done what is necessary. I set out 40-something years ago, and I was going to change the world. I was going to figure out what it took to move the hand of God. Somewhere along the line, I realized that God's hand had already been moving for a long time before I came on the scene. And here we are 40-something years later, and the world is relatively unchanged. However, individual lives along the way are greatly changed because as I've discovered God, people, other people have been able to discover at least what level of God I have. And their lives has changed as my life has changed. So on a world scale, I'm not sure it has changed much at all because of me. But on individual scales, not just four or five, but hundreds of lives have at least been touched by the presence of Almighty God. Now, if you can learn to walk like that and understand that where you are, there God is, and that in all of us, working together is the fullness of God. He is all. He dwells in all. And that we so much need each other to express the Spirit. It's more than just speaking in other tongues, although speaking in other tongues is a very great part of the tools that He gives you. But it's more than that. It's walking with an awareness that He wants to know you. Then couple of weeks, one week, whatever, there's a short clip from Bob Mumford that we're going to show up here where Bob now 86 or 87 years old, and he's trying to express what it is to walk in a way that God knows you. One of the, to me, one of the greatest discoveries I made was to realize that, yes, there is something about me knowing God, but the greatest thing is that God would know me. Because he pays attention to those that belong to him. And he, he interacts with them and he gets to know them. That's very important because those that he does not get to know when they interfere with God's family, they find God a whole different God than we find him. Things like Sodom and Gomorrah happen. Things like a complete wiping out of the Amalekites happen. Why? Because they became a threat to God's family. And I would, I would challenge everybody to go before God and measure that. Are you family? 
or because of your mouth have you become a threat to God's family? He doesn't handle that well. Well, maybe he does handle that well. But he doesn't handle it quite like the American mindset would think. Because after all, he's God. Amen. And he wants to know you. He wants to know you. Amazing, isn't it? Now, <coughs> back in the times before Hitler, there started to be a movement that was just completely trying to uh, make everybody think ill of the Jewish people. <clears throat> and that became a very prominent way of thinking, enabling Hitler and his group to do what they did. Now, we are quick to turn up our nose at that. But if we're not careful, some of that bleeds over into our own thinking. Not that any of us are going to become another Hitler. Not that any of us are going to wipe out hundreds of Jewish people. But in our thinking, we think that the Jewish people always had it wrong. And that they were always against God and his expression because of the fall. And on and on. So, and with that thinking in the background, we often don't give the New Testament the... Uh, the power, the, the presence that it actually has until we begin to go back to the beginning and understand that the Jewish people knew God in a very unique way because he had chosen them and then throughout their history they found out no matter how far they went from him that somewhere in the road they would find him and he would be presenting himself in a way that would cause them once again to turn to him and, and to, for some years then to serve him until they got sidetracked again in the ways of the world. So by the time they got to the New, New Testament, these people were looking back at about 4,000 years of God's faithfulness. And they weren't looking at it like, we're against God and we're going to stand against what he has. No, they looked at it like somehow we're going to come to a time when we please this God. He's going to come and dwell among us and he's going to change things. He's going to get things going. And that's the way they looked at their history. And so that's the way they wrote. They wrote from the history of a faithful God. And once we understand that, it changes some things. So this God, this Yahweh, this Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it, he always reached in and he would touch men and women and draw them. Those that had a desire to communicate with him, those that had a desire to know him, he would reach in and he would draw them back toward himself, love them and make promises to them and demonstrate himself to them throughout the history of his people. So after the Acts chapter 2 experience, and that, that probably the greatest Kairos experience recorded in the Bible when, when in Acts chapter 2 that God saw this opportunity and eternity came into time and has never left. But it came blowing in and came in with the mighty, mighty, mighty powerful voice of God and began to touch his people and literally began to indwell them rather than just move among them and show up now and then. And when that began to happen, the writers were able to look back, and now they could look at the prophetic writings in a different way, and they saw clearly, throughout that time, they saw clearly that God always intended that this would be. And again, it made, it made, the, them, it made their Jewish hearts rejoice, and, and it didn't make them uh, renounce their faith. It, it made them rejoice because, again, they had a demonstration of a faithful God that he had always said that he would come to his people. He always said that he would put a new heart and a new spirit within them. He always said he would do this thing. And now it had happened, and they began to watch people do things. They watched healing become so common that they don't even write much about it in the letter simply because it was just a happening among people got healed. God give us that back where we can see through signs and wonders and miracles that the Word of God, <coughs> that the Word of God is real. As are Kirksville allergens, they're real. <laughs> but God with us 
Almighty God coming to his temple. That's what they saw. And I, I want to emphasize this more as we, go, as we go through the message this morning. But the, just think of the awesome idea that Yahweh, that Elohim, this all-powerful God, that this God who done all of the New Testament deeds, that now he would indwell mankind and work out from us, not just me, but you. What would it look like if you became so aware that it was the Spirit of God that indwells you. It's not just a feeling. It's not just some ooey-gooey something that, that you fall for during a worship service, but God indwells you. What would your life look like if you began to wake up in the morning and remind yourself, I am what He says I am. Now, I don't look in the mirror and, and moan about what happened yesterday. I look in the mirror in the morning and think, in all of my lack of glory, I am what he says I am. I guarantee you, your mind would change. Things, your thinking would change if you'd begin to think that way. And that's what happened with these New Testament writers. Many of them wrote as much as 60 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And they wrote because all of a sudden they realized, I am what he says I am. I tell you, healing would change. Attitudes would change. Behavior would change. Your life in general would change because you would realize that you have an assignment to help him to establish his kingdom on earth. A kingdom that's being established eternally in the realm of the spirit. A kingdom that will never fade out. A kingdom that will always stand. But he, sa he says, I want you to be my representation on earth. And he becomes so intertwined in you. So intertwined in who you are. That, that you begin to realize that everywhere I go, he goes. Everywhere I am, he is. Not because I'm God, but because he indwells me. A unique form of God with us. Now, Jesus gives us insight, or John gives us insight in his writing. He, he was, he, in quoting what he wrote that Jesus said, that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And he also said that he in me and I in you, that's your hope of glory. That's your hope of approval. My Father in me and Jesus through the Holy Spirit in me, and I can say I and my Father are one, how do I live in that? How, how do I agree with that? How, how do I embrace that? I can tell you it's one step at a time, but instead of bringing a, a more of a burden to you and more of a load to you and you thinking, what must I do to make this happen? It bring, brings a peace and a relaxation to you and you re realize why, why Paul said that the kingdom is peace and joy in the Holy Ghost in the Holy Spirit, that as I understand that, that there's a peace comes to me. And yeah, there's a lot of things I would like to see happen. I would like to see Betty Brown get the fullness of her healing. Amen. But I can't make it happen. But I'm telling you, every time I'm around her, I must be aware that the Spirit of God is working through me, and it's agreeing with the Spirit of God in her, and something is, something is happening. She's in the hospital this past week. The doctors were getting set for surgery. Guess what? Surgery wasn't needed. Why? Because the church prayed. Amen. And she's home now. <laughs> I love it when God interferes with a, with a diagnosis. Amen. I mean, they got it settled. They, they know what's going on. Sarah... Mays got a, got a diagnosis. They knew what was going on. They were getting set for treatment. One more test wasn't there anymore. God intervened. God. You know, why don't we, why don't we live like that? Why do we for, forget? John wrote that, Father, that Jesus said, I'm going to send another. Now, that, we, we miss it if you, don't, if you don't think that through. He didn't say, I'm going to send someone other than I. He said, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send one like me, one with the same power as me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. <coughs> 
the Spirit of God is going to come on you, and this Spirit is equal to both Father and Son. And in all of our, in all of our mansion doctrine, and all of our, our, our greediness of, of what we want, to, want heaven to look like, we think, and all of our fleshly ideas, we've missed much of what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. Because in my Father's house, there's many places for you to dwell. And I'm going to prepare something for you that where I am present tense, there you may be present tense also. Amen. I'm going to prepare a place in the Spirit for you to live and for you to dwell so that you can present on earth like I presented on earth, where you can speak and it will be done, where you can agree together and regions will be changed, where you can do something in me and things will happen, where you can decide something will not continue and you can stop it, where you can decide something will continue and you can loose it. I'm going to help you live like that. Amen. Now, folks, that's more than just Shababa. That's more than just a high-powered service. That's living life. That's, that's noticing that there's hungry children and, and people on the border that are being ignored and allowed to die in the streets. It's noticing that and deciding that the goodness of God will be presented there. It's, it's noticing that, that our young people are being taken by the drug lords of this world. It's noticing that and standing and saying that won't continue. We're going to raise our children in such a way where they'll never know that kind of life. We're going to do what's necessary. We're going to make adjustments. We're going to do things that don't feel good to our flesh. We're going to walk with him. We're going to talk with him. We're going to release him in every part of our lives. And telling the enemy of this, of, of God's world, telling him that won't stand, you won't have this generation. Because we're going to represent God. We're not going to look like them. We're not going to act like them. We're not going to bow to their pressure to make us like them. We're going to stand out and be marked by the power of the Spirit. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I will go to the outline now. <laughs> John chapter 16, verse 7 through 9. But I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. I want to retrieve some things from the original language before we go on. This word parakletos has often been translated as comforter, helper, and it is those things. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But again, it's more. And I've found it helpful for me personally that I can go look at the way the words are used in the classical Greek and in classical writings and get more of an idea than I can from my modern mindset trying to put it into English. So, Parakletos, one of the most helpful to me, it was used of the Roman army. And there would be a senior, more experienced soldier assigned to the development of a young recruit. That, that recruit, coming in all fresh-faced and thinking he's going to change the world, would be assigned to an old scarred up guy that might be dragging a leg. You know how that is, huh? <laughs> he might be doing all kinds of things, but, but they assign him to that more mature Roman soldier. And they didn't just fight together. They, they would fight alongside each other, but they would live alongside each other as well. The conversation as they marched along would be between these two. The old soldier would be debunking some of the ideas of the young one and, and making recommendations to his life. And more than anything else, he would pass the attitude of the mature soldier on to the thinking of the immature. Because anybody that has been around uh, fighting men, let's put it that way, warriors, women as well, I suppose, I'm, I'm just not as well versed there, but uh, anybody that's been around them knows that you can't drive them easily. 
There, there's a nature there that you can't, you can't just make them do things. You can teach them. You can put them through the paces. You can show them the right way to do things. But inevitably, it's going to be battle that gets them to do what they need to do. They're going to have to face the situation. But how you can get behind that and begin to teach them is through relationship and conversation. And I'm telling you, I've watched the Holy Spirit work this way more than any other way, where he will put older, mature people together with younger, immature people and just ask those older, mature people to just live life. Now, I want to show you right now one of the things that keeps us from moving into the promise of God. In Hebrews, it talks about God offered them rest, but through their murmuring and complaining, they could not enter what God had for them. Now, let me show you a side of murmuring and complaining that we often don't think about. Somehow, this young believer just keeps attaching themselves to me. They have the most outrageous ideas. I, I just don't have time for that. I am committed. I'm locked into the ways of God. I'm tired of hearing that. Really? The Bible says a good man, a good woman's steps are ordered by God. But yet we murmur and complain when he connects us and gives us orders. And I've been the king of this. I think of some people, and I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. Some people that have been, they, it seemed like they attached themselves to me. People with personalities so different than mine. People with interests so different than mine. People that brag and put themselves out front. And I look at them and I see their, their, their soft hands and their undeveloped arms. And I know they've never done anything they're talking about. And God put them with me. I thought they put themselves with me. I kept pushing them aside, pushing them aside, pushing them aside, but they kept coming at me, coming at me, coming at me, until one day God spoke to me and said, do you think that they're any more attracted to you than you are them? And what, you know, God knew the answer to that. He did. He wasn't wanting me to tell him. <laughs> and my answer, as usual, was, no, sir. He said, they're attracted to me and you, and you need to keep quit pushing them away. That has happened to me over and over and over again, that God has connected me to people that I didn't really want to be connected to because, after all, I was serious about this thing, and they didn't seem to be. And somewhere down the road, I'd realize that God put them there, and I was offending him. Hear me? I was grieving him by pushing them back because he knew me enough to know that if I ever gave myself to that, that I'd change their lives. You hear me? Yes, it will ultimately be God that changed them, but I would be agreeing to do it. When I was complaining about them attaching themselves to me, I was murmuring and complaining and refusing to enter into the rest that God provided through the Holy Spirit. Man, I love the way we're saying amen now. <laughs> it gets right in where we live, don't it? We get in and we, we say, well, you know, God indwells me. I'm going to have to find another job. These people at the job just does not treat me right. Are they Christian folk? How do you expect non-Christian folk to act like Christian? Are you going to become like them with all of your murmuring and complaining about them while they murmur and complain about the job and you? Or are you going to be like God and reach for them and draw them? Because that's what the Holy Spirit indwelling you is all about. That there becomes a personal magnetism in you through the power of the Spirit because His Spirit becomes so intertwined with your spirit you can't tell the difference. And maybe at some point I'll do an entire message on this, but it's very easy to abuse the Spirit of God, the presence of the anointing on you. It's just as easy to abuse it as it is to use it. Because the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You carry that. 
He's intertwined with you. He's not separating himself from you. You carry that. And if you act out in the way you talk to people, you're releasing the power of the anointing and bruising and abusing their spirit. Because God trusted you with that. <laughs> brings a responsibility on us, don't it? To walk with him and talk with him and know him and let him know you. And sometimes people won't ask God the question because they think that God will mistreat them in the answer. He won't. God has been very gently talking to me about some things over the past few weeks. And I'm not completely prepared to talk about that right now, but just let me preface it by saying that he's been talking to me about what it is to get old. <laughs> that there's just some things that it's, it's reality. It's appointed unto man wants to die. You got a shelf life. Yeah. <laughs> There's an end date. And I need to, he, he's telling me, you need to understand that you can't run like you used to run. You can't do like you can't, used to do. You can't do five jobs. And then he gently said, I never intended for you to do five jobs. I intended for my yoke to be easy and my burden light, but you never would let it be. <laughs> See, I told you, he talks to you. <laughs> and he talks to you about things you don't necessarily want to talk about. Now, also in those verses, I want to go back to the original again on this and the way it's used in the classical, where it, Jesus said, he will come to you. He will come to you. That come to you doesn't mean that Psy motions me over here and I come and stand to wait to see what he wants. That come to you is a constant, continual movement forward. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, he comes and he, to you and he comes 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 to you. You release him here. You're not running out of presence. He, he fills that. You release. He fills that. You release. He fills that. He's going to come to you. He's going he's to continually fill you. And if you hold it in and don't release it, you become like the Dead Sea. You hold the life that is in you and the very life that's in you becomes death because you're not releasing it. So no matter the dunamis, the power that goes forth from you, always more right there to take its place. Always more, always more. Now, this is something that it's taken me a while to grasp, and I'm sure it's going to be a while longer. But the New Testament Scripture never speaks of the Holy Spirit himself as doing the work. It speaks of you and him together doing the work. Old Testament, yeah, there, there's some of that, that in there. Classical uh, writing, the paraclete is often spoken of one who, who, who does the work, but not so in scriptural writing. That the paraclete, that helper, doesn't become the paracletos, the working factor of that, until he's intertwined with you and he's working forth through you. Are there things that God does outside of us? I think probably so, but as far as the working of the Spirit, you can't pray hard enough to get him to go out and do what he's designated for you to do. You can't learn enough scripture and quote enough scripture to get him to do what he's designated to be done through you. Because he wants to work with you. He, he wants you to be like Samson. If you think of Samson, that Samson had that lion that rose up against him and the spirit came on him and he tore the lion and left him dead. Years later, he came back through and there, there was a honeycomb in, in the carcass of that lion and I can just see Samson savoring the victory. He reaches down and he takes that honey and it just drips off of his arm. Yeah, it was God, but Samson got to participate as he ate of the sweetness of victory. God wants you to experience the sweetness of victory. I'm telling you, it's sweet when you're praying for someone who needs healing and, and all of a sudden you see that person begin to walk in wholeness. You know it's not you, but it's sweet because you join together with God <coughs> and help that thing to come forth. Amen. 
It's something. And when God gives you a word, and, and even with both knees knocking and scared to death, and you tell somebody, I really believe that God is saying this, and you give it to them, and you watch it wash over them and confirm what God is already saying to them, there's a sweetness to that. Like Damon says, I know it's not me. I'm not that smart. But it, it, God partners with us and, and gets us, uh, gives us help in doing those things. So now, out of this, Paul's writings, I think, should take on a greater significance as, as we think about everything I've said up to now, that from Paul's perspective, the things that he was saying was good news for humanity. Now let me just give you a little parenthetical statement here, or question do you think it's good news when you just go off on somebody and tell them everything they're doing wrong? Do you think that's good news? I don't think so. And neither do they. I remember back before I was living for God how some people would come and they would just go into a list of everything I was doing that caused me to need God. Guess what? I knew that. I didn't need the help. I was already beating up myself quite well over that stuff. But when somebody looked at me one time and said, you know, God really likes you, that blew me away. I didn't know what to do with that. I couldn't argue it because I knew it was probably true. I questioned God's uh, mental capacity in that. But the truth is, He really likes you. And even while you were yet unaccepting of him, he allowed his son to die for you. So Paul wrote from that perspective. Paul, if you look at his writings correctly, you'll see that he acknowledges human problems, but he never vilifies the mankind. He never points them down. He just acknowledges the problem to point us toward the Father and his salvation. And that's so important because Father's solution to your difficulty is real simple. It's Jesus and his shed blood and your accepting of that. That's his solution. Now we can go into all kinds of things concerning psychiatry, psychology, medication, all that stuff. But Father's solution is the shed blood of his son. Period. Now, throughout Paul's letter... If you'll realize where Paul came from and his thinking of the faithfulness of God, you'll see that he's reemphasizing the faithfulness and the commitment of God, connecting it to Jesus, Christos, connecting it to Christos, making Jesus equal with the Father, declaring that this is so. Why? Because Jesus himself claimed that. And it was proven. So Paul's reminding human beings of the magnific magnificence of the plan of God. And it's not that we should come crawling into service on Sunday morning, so beat up through the week that we just barely make it here. We're, we're angry at people who didn't call us and angry at people who did call us. We just barely come crawling in. Oh, God, help me. That's not what he intended. He intended that you understand that he loves you and that he died for you and that he wants to know you and that you... Hear me, this is hard, but you bear the image of God. Whether you're showing it forth or not, if you're born again and you have the witness of the Spirit, you're bearing the image of God. That's, that's one that's, that you must wrestle with. But if you walk in Him, you're going to start to reflect His wise plan, His successful plan. And He's going to teach you how to deal with life and how to deal with creation and unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, but I can't teach you that. But walking in Him can teach you that. Walking with Him can teach you that. Learning to hear Him can teach you that. It teaches you how to, how to relax and live life. Now, Paul also writes that creation itself has a sense of that need, and creation itself is longing uh, groaning, uh, waiting for the revealing of sons and daughters, those men and women that reflect the image of God on the earth uh, by living this life. And again, not in just in designated worship service, we're reflecting praise and honor back to our Creator. Uh, God 
part of my giving glory to you is living out your ways. Part of my honoring you is allowing your presence to go forth from me and touch other lives. Well, people don't believe that, people don't believe that, that I have the Spirit of God in me. You know why they don't believe? Because God has drawn them to look at you. If you have the Spirit of God in you, He draws them to look at you. And if you're living anything besides reflecting His image, they look at you and they don't believe you have it. Why? Because you're not reflecting Him. You're not. They're drawn to you, but you're not reflecting Him. You're choosing your way. You're choosing your wants. You're choosing your desire. You're choosing to go off on people and satisfy your flesh. And He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not the way I work. And he just wants you to settle down and let him teach you how he does things. And when Paul wrote about good news, he, he talked a lot about what it looks like in real, very public life and living. Now, if you, if you think a little bit, what would, what would change in your life if you really took on the characteristics of the Holy Spirit? First of all, you wouldn't be able to be proud of how, uh, how you put someone in their place. You wouldn't be able to be proud of how, how you talk to someone and let them know that it's just not all right for them to treat you that way. You wouldn't be able to be proud because I keep my wife under control. Or, on the other hand, I control my husband. He just don't know it. You wouldn't be able to be proud of that because... That's not God. And you would learn as you walked with him and talked with him that his consistent, now hear me, his consistent direction for individuals is to be a part of the community. You hear me? To be a part of the community of believers. You, you can't separate yourself and effectively live for God. You just can't. Argue it any way you want to. It doesn't work for people. You say, well, you're just trying to get numbers. No, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you that he's doing one thing. He said, I'll build my church. That's what he's doing. I'll build my community of believers. That's what I'll build. Yes, he builds us individual and fits individuals and fits us in place, but it's in place in his church. All of these epistles were written to the church, not to the individual. They were written so that the church would know what it looks like to live it out there. So that people would be drawn. Now, if you begin to focus on the community, you slowly but surely begin to leave self-focus. And that's so important. But you're more and more understanding that Father's focus is His kingdom established in this natural realm. That's His focus. All this other stuff's going to pass away. But he's going to establish his kingdom here. And he says, come on, you want to be a part of it? Let me baptize you in the Spirit and walk with me and talk with me and we'll get this done. It's the amazing thing that he has for us. And we've confined it to he needs to meet my need. He needs to make me feel better. He, need, he needs to make these people help me to feel better about me. Come on. No. It doesn't really matter how you feel about you. How do you feel about him? Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Jesus talking to Peter here. I also say to you that you are Peter. On this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He had just changed Peter's name, taking him from Simon to Peter. A solid rock in the kingdom. And he said, now, as, as you are what I say you are, this is what I'll do for you. You'll bind and loose, and, and I'll back it up in heaven. That's the way it'll be. You're going to change things as you hear Father and speak forth from that. Things are going to change. And not very long after that, they found him by the Sea of Galilee. And, and when he began to talk to Peter after that, he said, well, Simon... See, Peter had had a reversion. He had a conversion, 
But then he had a reversion. He reverted back to the old way of thinking. He denied knowing Jesus. He backed off from this revelation of the Christ. And, and he backed off from the authority that was there. So when Jesus dealt with him the next time, he says, Simon, you've kind of gone back, buddy. But I want you to know that even with the love that you have, I'm calling you out of it for the purpose of feeding my sheep. That's what I want you to do. That's your assignment. As Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to help people to develop. I want you to get things done. Are you understanding that walking in the Spirit is more than just feeling blessed and having those ooey-gooey feelings? It's beginning to live out of what He says to you. And living it, realizing that the power of God goes forth from you when you do that. Now, <clears throat> we need, first of all, to understand that the Holy Spirit in us was designated by Jesus as being equal to Jesus. And Jesus himself being equal to Father. Now, that brings something to me. I, it, it brings a solemn acknowledgement deep in me that yes the spirit of God indwells me and yeah, he's God so there's something expected of me because of that and it's not that I'm going to fast and pray to the point to where I can make him do what I want but I need to hear what he wants and to move forth from that I, I need to learn what it is to hear him and, and begin to understand that empowered by him I am who he says I am now, I mentioned this already. Let me mention it again. It starts out really simple. He's doing one thing. He's building his church. He's building his gathering of believers. Why? So that they can be the full expression of God out there. It's not, it's not hard. It's not difficult to understand that he's not going to take you on a my ministry vision. It's not what he does. He's not going to take you to establish a revival ministry where people come from all over the world to fall out on your floor. He's going to build his church. He's going to build his community of believers. And out of that community of believers, it's going to become the full expression of God for this community. And it's going to start to win people. And there's going to be people in other churches that are doing the same thing. And that's okay. I don't, I don't need their people and they don't need ours. But we need to work together and to come together in the fellowship of the believer and realize that together we can do more than we can do apart. And that it's no problem for us to come together. I don't agree with everything that's taught in every pulpit in this city but guess what I don't have to and it's not up to me to figure it out I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling let them work out theirs but let's work together to establish the kingdom of God on the earth let's understand this thing there's an inner cohesiveness that has been missing in the church for a long time and unfortunately it's always been around numbers in one way or the other and we need to just not worry about that and realize that if you love Jesus and you're empowered by his spirit then we're brothers how can we work together you know we're, we're working hard and, and it has been a hard job it's been a long time in the making but we know that we have like precious faith with the guys over at Life Church I know that I have like precious faith with Jeff Arp that pastors the Assemblies of God Church. I work with those guys. And there's others that we just haven't had time to pull in. But I work with those guys. What can we do together? How can we encourage one another? What can we do that will show the city that there's not a bunch of walls built up that we're just wanting to express God? We work with these people. And we need to do that over and over and over again. Have I ever been done wrong by any of them? I don't know. I'll tell you the truth. I really don't know because I'm not so convinced of my own right that I can point toward them and say wrong. That shakes us up, don't it? And the thing is, it can't be only doctrinal. Why? Because if you've served God, really served God for any length of time, your doctrine has changed probably monthly during that time as you grew and matured and got closer and closer to Him. So how can I say my doctrine right now is 100% right and because of it I'm pushing all these other brothers and sisters away until they believe like me. 
By the time that happens, I'll already be believing differently because I've had an expansion of the knowledge of God. <laughs> he said that truth would set your teeth on edge. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21-22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You see, if you have the Holy Spirit, that is the seal of the Father's approval of you. If you sense any movement of the Spirit of God within you today, that's the seal. That, that, that's Father saying, yeah, you're one of mine. Come on, let me know you. Quit whining. Quit complaining because of what, I, what I've assigned you to deal with. Quit that. Come on, I want to know you. I want to bring the peace that passes understanding. I want to speak to you with stammering lips and an unknown tongue. I want you to have so much confidence and so much trust in me that you will accept things you don't understand. And realize that if you've asked me for bread, I won't give you a stone. If you've asked me for an egg, I won't give you a snake. If you ask me for the Holy Spirit, how much more will I give you that? If earthly fathers will give you the things that you need, how much more will your heavenly Father bring this to us? He's taken us forward by this, and we're expressing Him to our world. Uh, How's your expression? I'm not going to get into condemnation here. Don't, don't worry. But how's your expression? You see, understanding his approval is an ongoing manifestation of our awareness of his presence. And I need to be aware that in every conversation, I'm having an effect on somebody. And yeah, it can be, it can be light. It can be joking. It can be telling the world that, that we're going to have the outreach on my birthday, it's all right, I'm going to be in North Dakota. <laughs> but the thing is, it can be any of those things, and it's still the expression of God. God has a sense of humor. That's the reason I'll rib Cy publicly. First of all, I know he can take it. And second of all, God has a sense of humor. He, have you ever laughed with God? Until you laugh with God, you've never really laughed. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 2 verse 5 For I declare the Lord will be a wall of fire around her and I'll be the glory in her midst. When his presence is here, it's him. And the verse previous to that says it's a city without walls because God will be the fire round about her and the glory within. When we begin to properly express the Spirit, there will be a wall around us that consumes evil and draws. I, don't, I used to be a firefighter years ago and learned a lot about fires, but one of the amazing things about fire is it draws its fuel in and then explodes its, <laughs> explodes its burning factor out. Ah, think about that. We've got a wall of fire about us drawing people in, and then there is a Holy Ghost explosion everywhere we go that puts that burning factor out among men. And there's no neutral reaction to you when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul helps us to readily identify evil. And there's the kingdom and there's evil. That's the two ways of activity. The kingdom is when we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit and walk in that. Evil is when we think, God, think thoughts that God's not thinking. That's a very simple working definition for evil. If you're thinking and acting on thoughts that God's not thinking, it's evil. It's twisted. It causes things to get out of whack. But if you're in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, that's the kingdom of God, and that's where He wants us to dwell. And that yoke is easy. That burden is light. And I'll have to say that that hasn't always described my walk with God. Is that easy yoke and that light burden. And you know, in Paul's natural world, it looked like Roman domination. But he was able to write that you want to, you want to follow God. You, you want to know that it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And Paul writes of a universal empire where all 
creation is under God's order. Empirical thinking, like God's going to take over the whole earth. And I think, you know, he said, the kingdoms of this earth will submit themselves to the rule of God. How's that going to happen? Through God working through individuals and coming together as his community of believers and working through that. It'll be a difficult way, but at the same time, it is the way that God has designated. Now, understand, the reason I mentioned evil is because I want you to understand that evil is not equal and opposite God. God has no equal, he has no opposite. There's not an evil kingdom being established alongside God's kingdom. No, there's just an evil way of thinking that is being overcome as we allow God to work in us, to us, and through us. And I can see that I've run myself out of time. We'll shut it down right there. Father, thank you. Thank you and help us, God, for this somehow to be a help to people. Lord, I've... I want people to realize that being baptized in the Spirit is something that is, that is so essential to walking in you. God, we can't do this thing on our own, but you've prepared a place for us that where you are, where right now, where you are, there we can be also, and we can work out from that. Help us to realize, God, that you're the vine, we're the branches, but we're the ones bearing fruit because we are empowered by the vine and by that which flows through it. Help us, God, to go forth and bear fruit. And help us to realize that it's your will that we go forth and we bear much fruit, you said. Not just fruit, but much fruit. Help us to know that the grace of God empowers us to walk with you. Help us to hunger to know you. Help us to allow the baptism to overwhelm us and begin to overtake that most unruly member, our tongue. And help us to begin to speak forth with the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And God, grant that we would speak your word with power. And that signs and wonders would follow as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.